I'm Amy Wagner. Welcome to the best of Simply Money. Each week we put together some of our favorite segments from the 55 KRC radio show exclusively for this podcast. Cincinnati Bell is going private. So what does that mean for the company's shareholders and its 2,000 local employees? Andy Schaefer, a chartered financial consultant at Allworth, joins me to discuss that deal and how newlyweds financial habits continue to change. Brian James, a CFP at Allworth, comes on to talk about the state of pensions in Ohio and Kentucky and how retirees can plan for those changing guarantees. Finally, I interview Carla Messer. She's the chief results officer at BestWorks and assistant professor at Indiana University East about the new perks that employers are using to attract those who are seeking jobs. Cincinnati Bell going private. So what does that mean for thousands of local employees? You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. Cincinnati Bell sold for a mere nearly $3 billion to an Australian-based acquisitions group tonight. What does that mean for shareholders and employees? Joining me tonight is Andy Schaefer. He's a chartered financial consultant at Allworth Financial, regular here on the Simply Money Show. Andy, this is big news on a number of fronts. Um, I mean, Cincinnati Bell, I grew up here. You're from here. This is a, a name we all know. Cincinnati Bell has about 4,700 local employee uh, employees overall and about 2000 are local. Yeah. You know, so, you know, we grew we up all know someone company. who works there yeah, or has retired sure. from there. Absolutely. I went out with a buddy not too long ago that uh, works for Cincinnati Bell and they're the region's uh, 11th largest public company with over 1.56 billion in revenue for 2020. And they're going to be coming private for the first time since the late 1800 or late 1800. So this is a big deal and um, I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out. Yeah, so this is an all-cash deal, um, and it was approved by shareholders in May of 2020 and approved by like 97% of shareholders, so most of them were totally cool with this. And I think the interesting thing about going private for a public company, you know, after reading a lot about this CEO, he said like, hey, myself and my predecessors were constantly like tied by shareholders and we couldn't go as fast as we wanted to to expand fiber networks and and things like that to our our clients or potential customers because we were constantly worried about spending too much and let's face it you know the technology take that would need to be in place to have fiber networks everywhere is likely ex- super expensive so they found people who were saying hey we're willing to invest and it's probably a far easier route for them than the constantly reporting uh to the shareholders on wall street yeah and i think this can be a very complex uh, type of transaction for people to understand. So I just kind of want to uh, dial it back a little bit and explain exactly what happened. So sure. when you're a publicly traded company, um, meaning that your shares are open to the public to buy and sell. You can you buy know, them, the market, I can buy them. Yeah, yeah, right. They're available. Um, companies are beholden to the shareholders. So those decisions that they make at the end of the day, their number one priority is um, the value of those shares and the happiness of those individual shareholders. And mm-hmm. sometimes having that liability um, to have to, you know, your priorities to answer the shareholders can sometimes stymie the growth of a company. Yeah. So this type of transaction where you have a, an investment firm, a venture capital firm, for instance, that comes in to offer to purchase your company, what that does for the company and the employees and the shareholders themselves, is it offers an opportunity for more cash, more um, ability to do more things because you're not beholden directly to the the public anymore, but just to your private shareholders themselves. So 
in the eyes of the Cincinnati Bell leadership, this was a move for them to be able to grow their fiber net optic networks that they feel is the future where they were hindered a little bit before that. So in their eyes and a lot of the investors eyes, this can be a good thing. Well, and I think this was always the plan, right? Because before this company came along, there was another deal with a Canadian company that one ended up going south. But the premise of that would have been also that the company went private, at, you know, as well. Now, ultimately, that was termina- terminated. In fact, uh, Cincinnati Bell had to pay like $25 million to get out of that deal. But they said, hey, this deal is still the best one. This is um, with McQuarrie Infrastructure Partners. Uh, so all shares have been suspended uh, and delisted from the New York Stock Exchange. So what does that mean then for, you know, those people who had been shareholders for years and years and years? And I'm sure there's probably a lot of them around here. Well, those shares were converted into the right to receive 15 bucks, 15.50 per share in cash. So essentially yeah, which the was shareholders more than the stock were paid price. off. Yeah. Right. So, you know, for, for the average shareholder, you know, that's why they had 97% approval rate is that the average shareholder, you know, I don't hold Cincinnati Bell in my portfolio as an individual stock. But if you had it as an individual stock, you're thinking, all right, you know, this is a few more bucks per share. And if you have a few hundred shares or a couple thousand shares, that's a good deal for the shareholder. And then you can go ahead and diversify out from that. Because just like Procter & Gamble and GE here locally, I know a lot of people that have had shares of Cincinnati Bell that were gifted to them and might have a large concentrated position being from this region. So this was a great Mm -hmm. opportunity for people not only in Cincinnati, but throughout the United States that might have had a decent position in Cincinnati Bell to make a little bit of a profit there. So, um, you know, I think it was good for everybody overall. Um, There's probably going to be some attrition, but, um, you know, I don't expect there to be a, a lot of attrition in this regard. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC as we talk about Cincinnati Bell, right? This latest deal for them. What does it mean for shareholders? And, Andy, let's talk about what this means for employees. You said you don't expect much attrition. Uh, you know, the CEO has got on the record here saying, actually, to the contrary here, we think there will be growth, right? We've got all these plans to get this fiber network in the ground here. Uh, so he was saying that he thinks actually by the end of the year they'll be growing. Well, you know, I always go by the... Uh you know, by the thought that I see better than I hear, you know, I Mm -hmm. I hear what he's saying, but anytime you have these types of transactions, um, there's going to be some attrition, you know, the, the, you know, management might tell you, Hey, things going to go be different. And, you know, everybody's going to continue to have their job. Well, the reality is there will be some employees let go. Um, specifically in this case, I know a hundred percent of the board of directors of Cincinnati bell previously are going to be out. And which is an interesting move, right? Right. Yeah. So you're going to have a group of uh, new shareholders and also industry specialists that are going to be a part of the new board. So, you know, that's an interesting move, but there will be some leadership changes and there's going to be changes from the infrastructure. But I would say this, there's a reason, reason that they're buying Cincinnati Bell. It's because Cincinnati Bell is positioned well. So as long as a private company is continuing to be profitable and is doing what they need to do, the management is not going to upset the apple cart and make a lot of wholesale changes because they're buying you for a reason. So as long as they continue to perform well, I don't see a whole lot of change. To your point, though, you never know, right? Mergers and acquisitions like this, you know, and and of course the CEO is the front person of this. They have to make this look like a great deal for every possible shareholder, all employees, everyone involved. 
But let's dig a little deeper because we know something about this Macquarie Group and they've, you know, they've been involved in deals like this before. They should close to 15 percent of the U.S. banking workforce in 2016. Uh, this is according to Reuters. Um, and then there's a financial planning company that they bought right after. So four months after that financial planning company was purchased, they laid off about 220 workers. So and it's just a practical standpoint. I, I don't want to turn a deaf ear, Andy, to the fact that like... Uh, you know, when your company that you've been working for forever is being, you know, going through a change as big as this one, it is so normal to be concerned about, is my position duplicated on, on the, you know, is there, is there anything to be worried about, about my position? And that's a very normal thing to be worried about. Yeah. And unfortunately everybody's replaceable, you know, it's, it's, that's hard to hear sometimes. Um, You know, but it's the truth, you know, and the CEO CEO of Fox is optimistic that the company is going to add, 50 new employees locally by the end of the year, but, you know, at the cost of what, what other employees nationwide, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and getting back to financial planning, you know, what does this mean for you? So in your own job, you know, you're never really exactly sure what the future holds for your own company. Even if your company isn't planning on layoffs, it's never an impossibility after a change in ownership. So no, no matter where you work, you want to make sure that you do keep about three to six months of living expenses available in your emergency fund in case something like this could happen to you as well. And a lot of times these types of transactions, um, you know, are not very well communicated. And sometimes they can come out of left field and you can be surprised by these types of deals. So make sure that you do have a decent amount of um, emergency cash to be able to get you through some of those times in case layoffs do happen and these types of transactions happen in your life. So they do say timing is everything. And I do think from an employee's perspective, uh, this acquisition, the timing of it is good for a couple of reasons. First of all, they're not going to let anyone go unless they know they absolutely need to because it is so hard to hire in this climate right now. So you're probably in a much better position as far as, you know, uh, long term with that company. But even if Cincinnati Bell were to lay off, well, you could probably find yourself a new job in a week. I mean, so many people people are hiring. And it's not just retail and restaurants. In fact, those places have kind of uh, cut off their hiring because of concerns about the Delta variant. But the white collar jobs that are out there right now, uh, they're having to get creative and and offer benefits they've never offered before, like bring your dogs to work and all kinds of crazy stuff. (laughs) Truly, I'd love to work for that company. Right? George could come. uh, Garth could come. They could hang out together at work. But, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting time for employees. And so I think for those who are working for Cincinnati Bell, if there's any concerns about what happens next, the timing of this probably couldn't be any better for you. Well, and it's funny you say that. The Jolts report came out today. And for those of you that listen to the show and have for years, you know, that's Nathan and Ed's favorite uh, Take report. this job and shove it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. who, and, who is not working, who walked away from their job without having another job because you're so confident you can find another one. Yeah. And it was one of the highest readings that we've had in a long time. And that means yeah. that people are leaving jobs voluntarily to find other jobs. So to, to your point, Amy, employees right now have the leverage yeah. and, you know, in this, in this, in this environment in the labor force right now, you do have leverage and there are other options out there, but that still doesn't mean you shouldn't prepare for the worst. So I would still recommend that you do have a decent Absolutely. amount of emergency cash on hand. Here's the Simply Money point. Cincinnati's, Cincinnati Bell's sale to a private company provides some certainty for shareholders, but also some questions for its employees.
so what should you get the newlyweds? Well, for more couples, the answer is not check out my registry. It is straight cash. Please show me the money. <laughs> straight cash, homie. Well, yeah. I think that, you know, most people these days, I mean, we're seeing a shifting dynamic as far as the demographic of newlyweds. Uh, yeah. I'm 45. I've only been married for two and a half years. Um, it's my first marriage. So, you know, when we got married, we already had furniture and sheets and, and, you didn't need and towels. dishes and all you didn't that need kind of measuring stuff. cups. No. no. And we actually didn't register. Um, but there were some people that, you know, decided to leave a little bit of cash for an envelope. But, you know, I've had cousins that have gotten married that have preferred like honeymoon funds. Or, yes. um, you know, because in this day and age, particularly with COVID going on, I think there's a lot more emphasis and people are pr putting a lot more priority on experiences than stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and I am one of those, I'm one of those people. And you're starting to see where people, you know, would rather have money for a destination wedding or, you know, their honeymoon fund or whatever it may be. So and I think it's a good trend. I, I, I'm, I'm encouraging it. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, and, and I've even heard of uh, newlyweds setting up mon uh, funds to help pay off their student loans, right? Oh, yeah. And you're thinking, down okay, payment that's, on a home. Right, that's incredibly practical because that quesadilla maker 10 years from now, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, may yeah. not be the thing that you really need, but having those student <laughs> loans paid off. And so I think you're right. I mean, the trend is that people are getting married later in life, right? Early 2000s, people were getting married on average. Uh, I think women were like 25, men were 26. Uh, nowadays, the average age for newlywed, 31 for males, 28 for females. So we're getting older. And to your point, Andy, the older you are, Hopefully you've lived on your own. You're not coming from your parents' basement. Assuming that you've got your own stuff. And so in that case, cash, you know, and it's interesting too, because, you know, I think my dad's in his seventies. It feels weird for him to give cash, right? I should have a gift. I should go get off the registry, but times are changing. And I think that this goes to show that. And I think another thing that's changing, Andy, is because of COVID, people aren't necessarily throwing the big 350 people weddings. These micro weddings are a thing. And so you have 10 people, you've got 30 people, you've got less than 50 people. It's your closest people. And so rather than asking them to get you a toaster, you know, <laughs> they, they give you money. And I think that that makes a lot of sense for where yeah. we are in the world today. I'm completely fine with that. What do you, what would you say is a good average size of a cash gift for a wedding? So I actually read what the average size, and I thought that was more, it was more than I expected. So the average cash gift is 150 bucks. Like oh, that's, yeah. that to me yeah. is a lot. Well, they're probably taking in, in LA into a New York into account yeah. there. So maybe, so maybe not, true. maybe not in the Midwest. Well, and like, I've heard that the, the formula for this should be what you think it costs them. Like what you would pay for a nice night out, the two of you for dinner and drinks. Like that's one way oh. to look at it. So I think that I like makes that. sense. You know, I just got married um, last month. I've been married for a month now. We did a second marriage. We did a destination wedding and I made it very, very clear. Like the gift, your presence is is our gift right. you come and they're spending this. money to get to right they spend yeah absolutely right. and it's funny because i could i could hear ed fink in my head the founder of simply money all he he's always said listen the, these destination weddings you know are super costly for everyone else it's not fair and i do get that it was just the best thing for us to be able to do that for our kiddos and us together and so the people who decided that they wanted to come came but i absolutely would have like you do not get us gifts. And we were super clear about that. And I think. Well, and it also kind of weeds out the cousin you haven't seen in like five years, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> my third cousin, twice removed, <laughs> right, didn't right. make it to Key Largo when we got married, and that was that ended up being just fine. So, you know, there are trends, and there are certainly things that are changing. Um, so, if you're invited to a wedding, you know, before you go to Amazon or Macy's or wherever it is and check the registry, well, talk to the couple. I mean, honestly, if they've got student loans or trying to save for a mortgage. Money might be actually the best bet for them. Here's the Simply Money point. One positive sign, one positive thing we see coming out of this pandemic is that newlyweds seem to be getting smarter about their money and spending less on their weddings. Where do you want to work? Procter & Gamble ranks as the top employer in Ohio in Forbes study of America's best employers by state 2021. Brian James is joining us tonight. He's a regular here on the show. Brian, I mean, we've worked with a number of people who work at Procter & Gamble through the years. It is a rock-solid company. Absolutely. There's about 10,000 employees here in the Cincinnati area who work for Procter & Gamble, and it's a a fantastic boon to the local economy, you know, not to mention, uh, you know, all those actual direct employees. But uh, all the all the companies that they support, right? How many people have left Procter and Gamble and started their own businesses and uh, and gone on to work for other firms who support P and G, and that just just good for the economy. So we really appreciate the efforts of those of you who put your feet on the floor and head down to the P and G towers or Absolutely. all the other places they have around town. Yeah, that's true. They're everywhere. Uh, other places in Ohio, though, that ranked among the top 10, Cincinnati Children's Hospital was number nine, uh, and Miami University, number 10. This was 80,000 Americans uh, took this survey. In Kentucky, the top employer was uh, Fayette County Public Schools. That's the school system in Lexington. Uh, I used to uh, do some volunteer work there when I was in college. Great school system. Uh, and In Indiana, I use School of Medicine. So some great employers here in the tri-state. Uh, and if you're out looking for jobs, uh, you might want to focus your efforts there. Every week we go to Simply Money University. This is where we review the basics of financial planning and investing. Tonight, pensions. For those of you fortunate enough uh, to have these, they can also be a headache because you never know when they're going to get into trouble. Uh, So we want to kind of do a checkup on how local pensions are doing right now. Um, Let's start with Kentucky, Brian, because Kentucky, this one is always an issue. Yeah. Uh, so remember, let's talk about what a, what a pension is, first of all, of course. When we mostly think of retirement assets, we're thinking of our 401ks, 403bs, uh, deferred contribution plans, those kinds of things, um, where you have invested a pile of money and you've chosen mutual funds, so on and so forth, and it'll grow to whatever it grows to. That's not quite what a pension is. A pension is in, in exchange for your service, your numbers of years and so much earnings, and when you reach a certain age, you are promised a monthly check. So we all think of pensions more as a kind of like a guaranteed stream of income. And it is, but underneath that is a gigantic trust fund that is invested somehow. Uh, in the past, they've, they they've usually stay fairly conservative. They stick with uh, a lot of uh, corporate bonds, treasury bonds, those kinds of things. But just like everybody else, interest rates are just not there. So as frustrated as you are with your bank paying you nothing, pension investment, uh, investment advisors have had to deal with the fact that they can't get guaranteed streams of income in order to provide their guaranteed stream of income. So they invest a little more in stocks. It's not uh, nothing to be alarmed over. This is how it works. So Kentucky's uh, pension group had a pretty good year. It was about 30% for the Retirement Annuity Trust and 315 for the Health Insurance Trust. Uh, now, uh, by that same, t- same token, the, the stock market, the S&P 500, which is just the 500 largest American companies, that was up about 40%. This is from June of 20 through June of 21, which is a, uh, out in, came out of a hole and then moved on to new highs for a 40% return. That's a pretty crazy rate of return. 
Uh, and it is not, we don't look at the pension and say, well, it underperformed the market by 10%. Well, Amy, I kind of hope it did because I don't want my pension to be all in stocks. And I think that's the lesson here, right? I mean, I remember, so my grandpa, Hubert Wagner, worked for Cincinnati Millicron for years and years and years and years. He never talked about any concern over his pension or his retirement. I mean, for those of you that still have a pension, uh, the beauty of these things, and, you know, in a lot of cases, teachers, you're working, your salary is less, but you kind of go into it knowing that your retirement is going to be taken care of for you. Well, not so when you look at states like Kentucky, where the pension has been on such shaky ground. So, yes, a year like this one is a great year to celebrate, but markets have been going gangbusters. And what happens when markets aren't going gangbusters? You know, we're just talking about the fact that we might have a correction of 10% at any time. Pullbacks like that, when you have that much pension money invested in the market, that's where things can get really scary. Right. And, and because there, there's just no choice. It used to be that they could get 5 6% uh, income out of treasury bonds, but that goes back 20 years, if not more. Yeah. Uh, you know, that world just does not exist anymore. So they have to get those gains from somewhere. Uh, so therefore, and you can tell by the returns, if if the if your pension got uh, three-fourths of the return of the overall stock market, that tells you it's, you know, it's got a good chunk invested in stocks. Again, nothing to, you know, lose sleep over tonight, but it is a bit of a different world than what we're used to. So yeah. this is where they'll send you that uh, once a year or so. They send you uh, the, a statement of financial condition. It's a very boring document. But it would probably be a good idea for those of you who are relying on pensions to kind of get used to at least the bullet points out of that document. They'll tell you what's going on because yeah. there are some issues out there, and, and especially locally. So there's some, some pensioners who are kind of frustrated with their situation. Brian, I remember a few years ago, you and I went to speak to um, some teachers and administrators at Princeton High School. And first of all, great, super cool group of people there. But they're all really interested in what's going on, of course, in Ohio's pension. And I think this is interesting. Ohio's pension hasn't gotten uh, as much as many headlines as Kentucky says. It's in a much better, probably, financial shape. But the Ohio Retired Teachers Association actually hired an auditor and a financial forensics examiner to look at STIRS because they have a couple of issues here. One, um, they feel like the fees are too high that are being paid out of it uh, for managing the funds that are in those pensions. And then also the alternative investments that are in there, they feel like, oh, hey, where's the transparency? What What is this pension invested in exactly? Right. And and it's it's just like any other type of a, of a situation where it's very where we're at the he said, she said stage of this. Right now, we've got claims <laughs> from this group who raised their own money. It's the Ohio Retired Teachers Association raised their own money to hire this this organization. Uh, and this group came out with a report that, uh, for example, the state teachers paid about one hundred and forty three million dollars a year to, uh, to and I'm quoting here, managers who performed no services and suffered billions in losses due to alternative investments. Well, we know that there weren't, uh, you know, in the past uh, 12 months, that's it's actually done pretty well. So we're not talking about an instant, you know, a vaporization of what that pension was worth. But what we're talking about is one group simply thinks that there hasn't been enough transparency and they're making their claims as to why that is. We haven't yet heard a lot from state teachers' retirement other than a general rejection of these claims uh, but they still haven't quite returned all of the numbers and, and so forth to see if there really is an issue. There are pensions out there in far worse shape than state teachers' retirement. So if this is an issue, it could be far worse, I would say, but it does remain to be seen. And, it, and it's on everyone to kind of make sure they understand their own situation and just, just know what's going on.
Well, here's why I feel bad for someone who has a pension, because some of the like attached benefits, uh, whether it's a cost of living adjustment year over year, um, you know, Ohio has gotten gotten rid of that over the past several years. And, you know, this group is saying, hey, we think you can bring this back if you are able to more cost efficiently kind of manage this fund more. I know there's people who have concerns about health care benefits that are attached to these pensions. So just a lot up in the air. So where it used to be that you didn't have to worry about retirement if you had a pension, now you've got to pay attention because it's not going to be 100% on your employer anymore. You're going to have to be actively engaged in planning this yourself. Here's a Simply Money point. Your retirement guarantees, well, they may not be guaranteed. I saw a statistic recently that blew my mind. It said that 55% of those who are working right now will look for another job over the course of the next year. Sounds crazy, but what does it mean for you if that sounds like something you might be interested in? Joining us tonight is Carla Messer. She's the chief results officer at Best Work and an assistant professor at Indiana University East, uh, an expert on all things employment. Carla, uh, we're in an interesting place right now. And I don't think as workers, we've kind of been in a situation like this and as long as I can remember. That's right, Amy. These are Wild West times right now. And even <laughs> the statistics and data that we're getting to make informed decisions sometimes seem to be uh, in a state of fluid flux all the time, right? They're moving and there are so many complexities behind them that it leaves us guessing a lot of time about what some of the true numbers really might be. Okay, and so when we look at the fact that it seems to be kind of a worker's market right now, if you're not happy with your job currently, would you say there's probably not a better time than right now to start looking around? Well, there's definitely are opportunities right now, and employees have choice. It's a seller's market, and I'm talking about the intellectual real estate where employees have the upper hand if they're bringing skills to the market, and they can move to any one of the more than 10 million jobs that are open right now. And those jobs include, yes, a lot of the positions that we see typically being um, uh, you know, offered in the want ads for employment, including fast food and hospitality, et cetera. But, you know, even today in Cincinnati, there were 1,100 vice president jobs listed in LinkedIn alone, 12,000 manager jobs. So, yes, it's a great market right now to be looking. So what do you say to someone who is looking? Uh, What do we need to keep in mind? Well, there are a lot of choices for you if you're looking right now, and that's the good news. And employees oftentimes have the upper hand, as I mentioned, and that means they have more negotiating power. Sometimes that means you can relax a little bit during that job interview because you know that they want you as much or more than you want and need them. Now, I know it's hard to relax sometimes in those early job interviews when, you know, really being able to work is critical. So I don't want to diminish that in any way, but I also also want to give employees who are looking or those who are out of work and looking the encouragement to go out into the marketplace because they're being highly sought right now. And employers are doing all kinds of things to recruit, including adding lots of perks and benefits. You know, so I, it, the crazy thing, Carla, when you think about it is one year ago, right, we were kind of in just the midst of the pandemic. We were kind of thinking, if you have a job right now, you're lucky to have it. 
So it's really crazy to think that over the course of one year, the landscape has changed so drastically, so quickly. You're talking about all these enhanced benefits that maybe we would have never, ever been able to get before. So does that mean if we are in the process of interviewing and and getting hired, we can, dare I say, negotiate more? Well, the answer is, like most things, Amy, it depends. So Mm -hmm. we have some positions that are hard to fill, and they're going to be continuing to have opportunities to negotiate or get uh, sign-on bonuses in some segments of the the workforce. There's no doubt about that. In other areas, it may be more challenging because they're closer to full employment. But across the board, I have always believed that – Companies are always looking for good leaders, good managers, uh, good employees. And so right now, they're just the stigma of moving jobs is erased because we've had so much of the flux that you just described, where a year ago, people were clinging to jobs. And now, um, actually, a a client that I work with, uh, her son said, well, I'm staying in this job just until I get promoted, but I'm constantly looking right now at the same time because there's so many jobs I'm not worried. So this really, this flip from being quite worried about un- being unemployed to now, I'm not worried. There are a lot of jobs out there for me to pursue. It's a complete paradigm shift. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. We are joined by Carla Messer, Chief Results Officer at Best Work. She's also a professor at Indiana University. He's talking about kind of this job market. And you mentioned now there's more benefits out there than maybe we've been getting before. What are some interesting ones that you've seen uh, that maybe employers are offering that we've not seen in the past? Yeah, Amy, in the recruiting and retention space, there are all kinds of interesting perks that people are offering, including, you know, extending this flex time or remote work, which has become really mm-hmm. important to a lot of employees. But also, we're seeing bring your dogs to work, on-site child care, and some other perks like, you know, areas where people can hang out and congregate. We even have areas where people will stock the, the company um, refrigerator with beers and refreshments. So wow. this is about attracting and retaining talent. And so organizations that want to attract the top talent are trying to create cultures which attract the people that most likely are going to help them be successful. And Carla, what if you're pretty happy where you are right now, but you still kind of want to know what's my worth in the market? Is, Is now a good time to start looking at that? Yeah, you know, I'm never a fan of holding up employers during tough times, obviously, but it is a time to negotiate a couple things. One, I'm seeing more employees set boundaries with their employer and saying, I'm no longer going to work weekends because I know you need me. I'm, I'm a valuable employee, and I no longer am going to allow some of these things to happen. So that's one thing. We can set some new boundaries during this time. But the other thing is really understanding, is my current salary at market rate? And so what we want to be able to do is is to do some testing in the marketplace. Maybe that means going out and actually going through the job search process and seeing what your worth is, but maybe it just means doing a little bit of current um, homework and seeing what your worth is. And then if you have the justified um, uh, results, go ahead, and this might be a great time to ask for a raise. And Carla, what, so for someone who's saying, okay, no, I think I should be paid more or I'm not getting the flexibility at work that I would have before, whatever it is, thinking about kind of dipping their toe into this job market now, what are the first two or three things you say they should do or consider? 
Well, always understanding your competitive advantage is the beginning. So if you're a job hopper and you're getting ready to move, you know, we can all fall victim to the grass is always greener on the other side. But um, what some of the things that I think um, get in the way, head trash, if you will, include not asking our network for help. And there has never been a better time than to tap into your network because this retention strategy right now includes incentivizing current employees for those employees that they recruit into the organization because recruiting is expensive. And so if you bring somebody into the organization, many times employers are are giving you a recruiting bonus or a, a referral bonus. So this incentivizes people who are working in the companies where you might want to work to bring you into the company, to introduce you, to pass your resume along. So in the past where we may have been a little bit hesitant or nervous about asking somebody for help or to pass our resume on, in today's market, a lot of companies are incentivizing people to do just that. And so it should be even more reason for us to reach out to our network and ask them for that hand to forward and put our resumes directly into the hands of hiring managers. Great perspective tonight. Great insights from Carla Messer, Chief Results Officer at Best Work, Assistant Professor at Indiana University East. If you are thinking about heading out into the job market, lots of opportunities, new benefits that maybe you've never even had before. You've been listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You've been listening to the best of Simply Money. If you could do us a favor, send the show to a friend if you think they may benefit from it too. At All Worth Financial, we help you retire better.